Did you know that most vitamin D3 supplements come from sheep's wool? I'm Kat, founder of Ritual. We're making traceability the new standard for the supplement industry. When I was pregnant, I couldn't find a multivitamin I could trust, so I created my own. Ours is made traceable, third-party tested, and clean label project certified. Oh, and our vitamin D3? It comes from sustainably harvested lichen from England, not sheep. Trace for yourself with 25% off at ritual.com slash podcast. Hey, everybody, it's Joe Trippy, and welcome back to a special guest episode of That Trippy Show. We've been working on this one for a while, and I think you'll really like it. Our guest today is best-selling author Don Winslow. His books include The Cartel, The Power of the Dog, and his new book, City on Fire, is out next week, April 26. Of course, you probably also know Don from his activism. I know I've tweeted a ton of his videos uh, everything from supporting Democrats he believes in to taking the fight to, to Trump and Fox. Tons to talk about, Don. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, man. Appreciate it. Uh, let's start with the book. Uh, it's the first in a series set in Rhode Island, uh, a town you came from that you originated yeah. from. Uh, what, what's different about this series? Well, for one thing, it's, it's the first time I've written about my hometown. Uh, so it's a trilogy, actually. And the uh, the first volume set mostly in Rhode Island. Well, all in Rhode Island, actually. The, the next two are set partly in Rhode Island, but we follow the action to Hollywood and Las Vegas. So it, it, it creeps across country. I keep seeing that it's sort of references to the Iliad. Did you talk, you use uh, sort of Greek and Roman classics and and bring them to, how do you bring, bring those to a gang war in, in, in Rhode Island? Slowly. It took about 20-something years to do it. Uh, listen, these are, these are crime novels, definitely. That's my genre. That's where I live. And you can read these novels, and I, I hope enjoy them, with no reference to the classics at all. But they were inspired uh, by the classics. I, I was reading Iliad, and it struck me how similar the story was to some stories of real-life crime I'd heard growing up in New England. And the more I read other classics, the Odyssey, the Aeneid, the, the Greek dramas, the more I saw stories, again, that reminded me so much of real life and classic crime fiction. And so I thought, you know, can I take that idea and run with it with some contemporary modern day crime novels? Well, you, I, you also talk about reality, uh, your own experience. You spent 23 years reporting on Mexican drug cartels that had to yeah. have an influence in terms of the real scenes that are you know, sort of real things that you you witnessed and saw that you, you, you're bringing into this, yeah. into these pieces? Yeah, look, you know, I, I spent a third of my life on, on the Mexican drug beat, and there's virtually nothing that happens in any of those three books that didn't actually happen. Uh, this book, you know, I'm drawing on my childhood and, and my teenage years of, of growing up around uh, what were generally known as the New England crime wars. You know, there were a bunch of them. Uh, about the, the kind of people I used to see around, uh, you know, the, the whole culture. And uh, I know these characters intimately. So there's definitely a, a realistic aspect to this book. Although I, I want to be very clear that it is fiction. So Don, why, why obviously Rhode Island 
you're from there, but why exactly, what drew you to kind of the, 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 the Rhode Island crime angle, as it were? Is it just yeah. setting hometown or, or kind of drawing on the, the mob history, which I don't necessarily think a lot of our listeners know about. So if you want to get into that too, go for it. Yes, yeah, sure. It was both. Um, look, you know, I, I think it was time for me to write about my hometown, time to go home again. But the, the history of that area uh, played in very well to the stories that I wanted to tell. The, the Italian mafia was extremely strong in Rhode Island for many years. It's in its decline now, as, as it is most places. Uh, but it was a real power when I was growing up. You didn't, you didn't mess around with that. And there was also you know, an Irish element in New England. And so mm -hmm. I was drawing very much off history. The other reason, though, really is, you know, if you're going to write about the New York mafia, uh, it's a big world. Rhode Island is a small world. Everybody knows everybody. I've, I've often said that the state motto of Rhode Island should be, I know a guy, you know. <laughs> and so you could write about personal relationships in this book between these mobsters, because at various times they were all friends and they were allies before they were enemies. And, you know, there were intermarriages, they knew each other. And so it was an opportunity to write intimately about the mob world. So the word intimate, you just said there, and uh, we've read the cartel and, and a lot of your other stuff. And, and one thing that kind of jumps off the page immediately is you weave a ton of really personal kind of stories about the people in the book it's not just the plot kind of it's not your average thriller right you got 8 10 12 interlocking people that you're writing about should we expect that in city on fire yeah definitely you should uh listen i i think that character is interesting i think that characters are to me the most important part of a novel if the reader doesn't care about the characters i don't think the reader's going to care about what happens to the characters and the way I view my job is to, to bring a reader into a world that he or she otherwise couldn't get into. And the way I choose to do that is to see it through the character's points of view. And, and so in that regard, I, I need to get close to them and stay close to them through the story. You know, one of the things I've been re reading your books, it's pretty clear to me, I think, too, that you kind of weave a statement through them that it's 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 not a Mexican drug problem or a Colombia drug problem. It's an American drug problem that 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 kind of fuels all this. Is that something that carries through in the in, in City on Fire as well, or is it different? Yeah, definitely. I mean, City. I, I don't want to do too many giveaways here. Okay. City on Fire, you know, definitely has a drug element to it, uh, but primarily it's not about drugs. It's it's about other rackets, labor racketeering and, and gambling and prostitution and to a certain extent drugs. Uh, but, you know, I very much believe that statement that I've, that I've made that, you know, the drug problem is the American drug problem and not the Mexican drug problem. It's Mexico that pays for it in blood with money that we send. Well, let, let's talk about that blood for a minute. I mean, your books are pretty violent. Um, and sometimes, you know, the, the pretty and bleak might not be the word, but stark. But it's not the same kind of violence for violence's sake that that seems out of place. It's almost like you're kind of a, a fly on the wall to what, what feels like is actually happening. You don't kind of do that like drug lord as a, as a rock star or celebrity. Like they kind of hate right. themselves for it a lot. How do you kind of balance 
what you think is going to be as a writer, what's gripping versus what's, you know, what's being true to, to what you think the story yeah. is. Yeah. There's an authentic nature to your writing. I think, uh, more so than, than just, you know, drama for drama's sake. Yeah. Well, thank you. It's a tough line to walk. And, and sometimes I'm afraid I cross it, you know, between realism and, and what I would call the pornography of violence. You know, you, you don't want to be writing that stuff to titillate. At the same time, I don't want to sanitize violence, right? I don't want to make it into a video game. I, I, I want the reader to, to see and feel the real results of violence. That being the case, there's a couple of ways to do that. I mean, one way is to show the violence itself, which I do. Another way, though, is to talk about the consequences, to have a character come in in the aftermath of the violence and for that character to have a reaction to it, you know, an emotional or psychological reaction to it, sometimes can be more effective than showing the violence itself. It's a tough line to walk, and, and I, I worry about those issues. Well, look, I can't wait to get my hands on it, and I hope uh, everybody who's listening will put uh, a link in the in our show notes. Uh, but I highly recommend uh, taking a – if you haven't read Don's books, get them, Cartel. Uh, there's a great, he's written a, a lot of really, really good books and I'm really, uh, can't wait for, uh, uh, the first in this trilogy, uh, city on fire. But Don, I, I do want to, you know, actually the interesting thing having, you know, you've, you've written these books there, you can obviously see the, the success there, but I also think it, it must be cool I think it is whenever I, it, it, it happens to me where you produce something uh, like your videos and you you can actually see and feel immediately people responding to it, passing it on. And you can't see somebody passing your book on. Right. But so is there a yeah. no, you know, what I'm saying it's a, a well, I've never it, seen it. So. Yeah, that's no, that's what I am. <laughs> My point is, is it because uh, you're I mean, you're so multifaceted, so talented and what you in being able to drive. A message. Uh, I know I really enjoy it every time you put a new video out uh, or, or take a position either, you know, the, the strong pro-democracy and and, and um, anyway, but uh, so how's that different? How's that feel different to you or, or what drives it? Well, it's extremely different. Uh, it's um, you, you summed it up perfectly. I mean, I, I rarely, if ever, get instant feedback on my books. Right. right. You know, I'll go out on tour and I'll see some readers and I'll, I'll get some, you know, some feedback that way. But, you know, I've been shocked and shocked is exactly the word. We've had something like 250 million views on these videos. Well deserved. They're great. And it, it happens almost instantly. And then and then you get this feedback, most of it positive. You know, some of it extremely negative, right. uh, but you, you hope that you have an impact, you know, either that you are sort of solidifying and firing up uh, the people who kind of believe the way that you do already and, and give them reason to vote and to donate and to be active. And then I, I hope and I think that around the time of the election, you know, we very deliberately targeted uh, viewers in Pennsylvania and Michigan, for instance, you know, uh, trying to give them reasons to vote, you know, for Biden and against Trump. Mr. Springsteen helped us out with that. Jeff Daniels, great actor, helped us out with that. And, and I think, you know, we probably did persuade a few people. 
So, I mean, you did, you did something that I think a ton of ad people wanted to do is which you put a tweet to Trump in the New York times as a, as a full page ad. What would you see as the reaction to that? And, and did you learn anything from it? Yeah, sure. Look, you know, prior to that, I, I did a full page ad in the Washington post, uh, advocating a, uh, an end to the war on drugs, you know, basically the legalization of all drugs. I did, I didn't not hear from many politicians. I heard from, uh, 60 police, mostly chiefs, who wanted to discuss the idea, some of whom began the conversation really angry, uh, but they were good conversations. Uh, with the, the New York Times thing, sure, I got a lot of reaction about it, um, most of it positive, a lot of it from Trump supporters and you know, Trump-allied politicians who think I'm a pretty hateful person. I, I think what I learned from it was that we have to talk in plain language and we have to find people where they are and we have to be kind of tough. You know, if, if I have a critique of the left, um, you know, someone, and I forget who it was, you, you guys probably know, once famously defined a liberal as a, a guy who won't take his own side in an argument. Um, I, I think that, that my partner, Shane Salerno, with whom I do these things, my agent and partner and, and great friend, great writer, Shane Salerno, we, we made a decision, you know, that if the other side wanted an alley fight, uh, we'd go in the alley. Yeah. That's one of the reasons you know? I, same reason I joined the Lincoln project, because I think they have there that same, that's, we, we've got to be a lot tougher and a lot stronger in terms of how we fight back against these, these folks. Well, yeah. The thing I was going to ask you though, is how did it start? How did you make the, you know, I mean, you were writing these books and things and then all of a sudden, uh, you know, you, you, you sort of all yeah. of a sudden started creating these videos. They, they were just getting picked up and, and amplified. And I think really did look when you get down to, you know, 15,000, 14,000 votes in Georgia or, or, or uh, mm -hmm. uh, 44,000 votes in, in Pennsylvania, uh, making up the difference. There's no, in my view, there's no way your, your videos encouraging people, giving them, you know, energizing them didn't, didn't significantly impact those numbers in a way that uh, thank you know thank thank God we, well, thank we pulled God it out. It the way it went. So, but yeah. how did that start? Yeah, well, it started rather suddenly on a November night in 2016. You know, um, you wake up in the morning and with the thought that this maybe wasn't the country you thought it was. Um, with this idea that um, the next four years were going to be really hard. Uh, I was infuriated by the things that I, I hate saying his name, that, that that guy said about my Mexican friends and neighbors. Um, infuriated by what he, you know, by mocking a, a disabled reporter, mocking a war hero, and then the whole gigantic, obscene lie about the wall. Uh, and so we decided, yeah, we're, we're going to fight. We, we're going to go back and say things in plain, tough, and sometimes harsh and mocking language. Because, look, th these guys are bullies, aren't they? Oh, yeah, definitely. You know, they, they're classic schoolyard bullies, man. They, they're so tough until someone punches them in the nose, and then they go running to teacher every time. 
you know? Um, and so I, I think sometimes our, our allies and the people we support are reluctant to punch them in the nose, you know? Uh, and uh, understandably, maybe given their positions in life. Uh, my position in life's a little different, so Shane's. And so, uh, yeah, if, if a punch in the nose is necessary, uh, I'll throw it. Metaphorically speaking. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so w w as you, as we look now into 2022 and what you, you know, and, and, you know, Putin invading Ukraine, I mean, all <sighs> the different things that are just going on that create this sort of the chaos at the right um, mm -hmm. You know, keep stoking the, the the fear and the outrage machine that Fox and uh, Breitbart and you know that's been built. That, that's the thing that hits me is that the you know a bunch of billionaires spent two three decades building this outrage mm -hmm. machine. That's right. Uh, and the echo chamber that Trump you know you know grabbed onto and and, and, uh, and fueled. There's nothing quite like it. it I mean, if there's anything like it at all on the pro democracy side. And the only, I mean, it, it's it's people like you, it is Lincoln Project, Midas Touch. I mean, there's a bunch of people out there trying to fight that, but it's pretty tough to do when we're kind of like inventing it over two or three years here. Mm -hmm. And they've had yeah. a, you know, a, a three decade and billion dollar head start on yeah. on building yeah. that, 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 you know, the pro-democracy echo chamber or, or outrage machine against them um, is, is, is not you know isn't something that's built we we all have to do it yeah yeah and listen we're doing it on the fly they're highly monetized we're not you know by the way um we don't take any donations don't accept or solicit any donations or you know monetize what we do at all uh i think what outrages me so much about you know the foxes and the other side is that they they claim a monopoly on patriotism these are the same people who launched a violent insurrection to overthrow democracy on January 6, which is the opposite of patriotism. So, I mean, think what, again, what we have to do is tell plain, simple facts and keep saying them and talk about them in plain language and, and common sense. Everybody wants to forget about January 6th, right? You know, it, it, it was a near run thing. Yeah, yeah. But not only that, you I mean, know, I keep saying this, the un, the repeated lie will defeat the unrepeated truth right. every time. And every Democrat, time. we've got in pro-democracy folks got to learn. We got to repeat it, repeat it, repeat it, not just, you know, a one off, um, you know, something good happens. We say it once. We got to bang. We have the to truth. say it again and, and again, again and again and loudly and strongly and again in plain language. Yes. Unemployment's at an all-time low. I, I was in a town a couple of weeks ago, Lincoln, Nebraska, has a 0% unemployment rate. Zero, right? Nope. Not, you know, and so when, when we look at what we've done, we look at where we're at, we have to keep telling people that and not be shy about doing it. And we also have to keep up warning people about what almost happened and what could happen again and why we need to take action on it. Yeah, no, it's it's amazing as poll that just came out showing more people think we lost jobs last year than think we gained jobs last year. 
in, right. in a year but where we, we created more. Yeah, I mean, millions and millions of jobs. Yeah. It was the fastest job growth in the history. More jobs than ever before. Ever before. It's just the uh, fastest, ever before. faster growing economy uh, than China. And the first time that's happened in two, two or three decades. I mean, it's just uh, uh, amazingly strength, yeah. uh, economic strength and, and growth. And yet everybody, it's yeah. not being repeated. We don't, the Democrats do not uh, go out there loudly making the case over and over and over again. Um, right. uh, and, you know, the next outrage machine will be, you know, we're already seeing with Abbott, um, <laughs> Abbott sending the, that bus to, to DC. And it's like the caravan panic has started early this year. You know, it's, uh, yeah, no, and it's, that's it's the next one is what happened again. Yep. It's lunacy, but we have to do what we can do. Yep. You know what I mean? If if we give in to despair or pessimism, you know, then it's our own fault. No, no, that's why I. Uh, that's why I'm. I'm uh, glad. I'm for a lot of people are glad you're out there. I mean, again, uh, you know, when you get those 250 million, you know, uh, views out there and people passing it on, that's what I'm talking about. That's the peer-to-peer amplification mm-hmm. of the message that we're going to need. It's it's everybody out there. Uh, when you yeah. see a Don Winslow uh, video or a Lincoln Project video, you know, your help in getting them out there, getting that right. th- that that message that Don's created, um, amplify it. Because uh, given we, we don't have the billions of dollars, we've got good creative minds like Don's and, 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 and others out there, but we need your energy to 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 pass it uh, to other citizens peer to peer in a way that gets gets the message out there more. Yeah, you know, we were at, in my opinion, an existential moment in American democracy last November and last January. And I think we're going to be at another one, you know, coming up. And so, you know, we need to do what we can do. Alex, you had something? Yeah, Don, I just wanted to ask, you know, you've said before you're somewhat optimistic, but I wanted to ask you now, looking at this year, looking at where we are under Biden with the war on drugs, have you seen any of the progress made that, that you're hoping to see? And, and what do we need to do to, to, to keep moving in the right direction or change course? Well, I, I do see progress. I have seen progress. Obama got to the party late on drug reform and criminal reform, but he did get there. And then, of course, Trump and you know his coterie tried to reverse all that. But we started to see, particularly on local and state levels, progress on drug reform, uh, more in terms of treatment than in, than in terms of incarceration. So we're starting to see progress on that. And, and I, I think that is going to continue simply because it makes common sense. You know, I, I've had some success talking to conservatives about that. You know, we, we can find common ground on that. Uh, we were making progress on the opioid epidemic until COVID hit, you know, and isolation is, is the great, great uh, enemy of, of addicts, you know, and so during this enforced isolation, tragically, we, we saw, you know, overdoses and death rates shooting up. But, but I, I do see progress out there. And again, we do need to be talking about it, you know. Uh, I think that, again, you know, particularly, on, I'm sorry, local and state levels, we're having conversations that we weren't having before. 
and and people from both sides are joining in on. So you said you've had some positive conversations with conservatives. You know, one thing we're trying to figure out at, at, with the Lincoln Project is stuff like, you know, Biden got up on stage and said, I want to fund the police, which is a message that I think conservatives probably want to hear from a Democratic mm-hmm. president. What are you seeing that's kind of breaking through in those conversations you're having? I know it's anecdotal, but I, this is how it starts. Yeah. Um, look, I've had conversations on gun control with, with you listen, I live in an area that's 75% that voted 75% Republican. When I'm in California, I'm on an old ranch and there are cowboys around here. I've been stopped on the road by pickup trucks pulling off saying, we don't like what you say on Twitter. Right. Um, so one time I asked one of these guys who's was on me about gun control. And I said, well, do you believe that you should have the right to have a shoulder fired rocket launcher with atomic tip missiles? And he said, of course not. And I said, well, we already agree on gun control. Now we have to set where the line should be drawn, right? On the issue of prison reform, we can talk about it in, in fiscal terms. I've had some success in these conversations saying, look, for every dollar you spend on education, you save $4 on incarceration. Don't you want those $4 back in your pocket? We spent a trillion dollars in the war on drugs and the drug situation is worse than it ever was. Is there another way? We talk about police. You know, uh, I can have conversations with with conservatives about community police tactics, right? I can have conversations with police chiefs and have done where we say, you know what? This this guy was telling me I get I get prisoners in there for 30, 60 and 90 days in my jail. And two weeks later, I'm going to see those same people. And we're wasting those 30, 60 and 90 days. What if we had a drug treatment center in the jail? Yeah, absolutely. What if you did? Can I put you in touch with somebody who can help you work that out? I can't. I'm not an expert, but I have the phone numbers. So I think sometimes, you know, you, you're never going to do this with the hardcore, with the proud boys and the white supremacists and those idiots. We simply have to beat them, right? But you can do it with some of these people who just are sort of reflexively Republican, certain ideas, get down to details. Do you know what I mean? Let's let's talk about little things and see what we can build from there. Right. Well, and that's that really plays to the Biden administration's strengths in terms of the actual governing. So we got to figure out a way to give the people that are actually working on the solutions, the air cover which is, you know, where you come in and where, you know, videos to kind of take the fight to them come in. Exactly. Well, listen, I mean, I I have great respect for for President Biden, primarily because this is a fundamentally decent man who had to follow a fundamentally indecent man. And and this is a man whose whose instincts are are pure, you know, who who wants to do the right thing, who's in a very, very tough situation. And I think that that it is where people like me, you guys can be useful. And, and you, you know, I, I love your air cover analogy. You know, we, we can be a little tougher. We can be a little nastier, you know, uh, and allow other people maybe to look a little bit more reasonable. Cool. Well, Don, that's just about all the time we've got. 
Uh, really appreciate you being on. Um, like I said, we'll include a link to City on Fire in the show notes and how people can follow Great, you on Twitter. You. Anywhere else our listeners should should look for you? No, I'll, I'll be out in bookstores all over the place. I'm, I'm on Twitter. I go on tour, I think, 23 cities in 23 days, uh, starting on Friday. And if, if they want to show up at one of those events, I'd love to see them and just say thank you, you know, for everything I have. Don, thanks for coming on. And thanks, everyone, for listening to That Trippy Show. Don's new book, City on Fire, is out April 26th. I can't wait to get my hands on it. I hope you will, too. Find it wherever books are sold. We'll link to it in the show notes. And follow Don on Twitter at Don Winslow. You don't want to miss an update from him. We'll be back this Friday with our usual show. And of course, please subscribe to That Trippy Show and leave a review on Apple or wherever you listen. You can always send us a question to thattrippyshow at gmail.com or leave us a question in the reviews on iTunes. See you next time. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger. Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.